when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. Welcome to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast, uh, a moguls podcast, which means I'm here, Colin, taking over whenever we have moguls, and uh, Ben's here as well, um, and Ben is in fine form tonight. <laughs> we looking forward to it. Uh, we are very excited here because we get to talk to Olivia Giaccio, who is a uh, mogul skier, U.S. mogul skier, who made her Olympic debut and finished sixth place in her first Olympics, which was Kind of a bit of a surprise. Not a surprise to her though, but uh, a surprise uh, for everybody watching at home. And uh, this was a this was a blast, Ben. This uh, you know, we 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 don't just say that in every interview. Literally, meaning this one was a blast. Yeah. The thing with this interview is, you're right. I'm not on great form with some of my questions. Uh, if you wanted to ever hear me ask an Olympian about meatloaf, then today's your day. Um, but we'll say. Colin gets a bit mean to Olivia at one point, which is fun. And also Colin and I get into a bit of a fight, which is also fun. So um, it covers all the bases. But no, Olivia's great. It's a it's a very fun chat with Olivia to learn about sort of her career and everything. And as you'll hear us mention plenty of times in this interview, she has a great blog on her personal website, yeah. which gives some fantastic insight into her mentality at a lot of events, some of the setbacks she's had and her post on the Olympics itself was very in-depth and great. So it's a fun chat. It's a great chat. And I will say, as an American mogul skier, she knows who Dale Begsmith is. So you know that that is an added win for us here on Off the Podium. There you go. She's moving up our rankings for favorite mogul skier. Um, uh, the other ones we're interviewing seem to be retiring. So <laughs> she's automatically moving up the rankings, but even more so because this is a lot of fun and you get to hear how much fun it is. And you won't have to wait long for the second worst question ever asked on Off the Podium because that will be coming soon. Uh, here it is. Great interview, Olivia Giacho. It is always exciting to have a guest on from the most recent Olympics from Beijing just a couple months ago. Even more exciting to have somebody who gets to tell stories about their first Olympics. And it is always the most exciting. We get to talk to somebody from the single greatest sport ever known, ever in the history of mankind, mogul skiing, my favorite sport. I'm going to assume Ben's favorite sport by the time we're done this interview. Uh, and I'm going to assume our guest favorite sport. Today we're talking to, uh, we can say, Olympic finalists, American mogul skier, Olivia Jacho. Olivia, so happy to have you here with applause. Hello, people. Thank you for having me. 
I, I'm not lying when I say that moguls is hands down my favorite sport of all sports and I'm Canadian and I'm not allowed to answer anything other than hockey, but <laughs> I go against the rules. Um, such a fantastic sport. And I, I always find it interesting whenever we have skiers on here, regardless if it's moguls or something else, how young they actually start in the sport. So I'm going to take a wild guess. You might be one of these who started before you could walk, but maybe you'll surprise me. How did you actually get into skiing? And I guess particularly mogul skiing. Um, I started skiing when I was two. My parents would go up to it. So I used to live in Redding, Connecticut, and my parents um, would drive up to Vermont every weekend with their high school friends um, back in like high school and college. And then that kind of continued with my brother and I. And so we, by extension, just ended up learning how to ski as well. And so I was two when I first strapped on skis and um, I began mogul skiing at the age of 10 um, after my brother and I had kind of progressed through ski school. Um, my mom had asked the ski club or the ski school where we should go to continue skiing with our peers and just because they wanted to continue skiing with their friends and the two of them together as well on the weekends so um, the ski instructors recommended uh, the Killington Ski Club and my mom just signed up my brother and I for a Redding program. I, I, I was reading a little <laughs> bit about Reading in Connecticut Olivia um doesn't seem like the, the biggest place, but seems like a nice little place. I've, I found out actually though, that meatloaf used to live there. I don't, I don't know if this is like some big thing that people in Reading talk about, but like when I'm looking through the notable people list, it's like meatloaf used to live in Reading. Is this something that is aware people in, in Reading know and talk about that the great late meatloaf used to live in Reading? <laughs> I personally did not know that. Um, <laughs> But I lived there until I was 10 and I didn't know who that was after or until after I was 10. So. <laughs> could have been your neighbor. You could have been like, oh, Mr. Lowe. Yeah, seriously. How are you? How are you going? That's so random. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'd like to bring the facts on this show. And clearly Colin likes to start yeah. off with the how did you get into skiing. I like to start <laughs> off with the did you know Meatloaf probably used to be your neighbor. So you're welcome. I hope Colin's next Crazy. question is better. Yeah. That, that could be the second worst question I've ever asked on this show, Olivia just saying but <laughs> hey i like to start off strong so you're what welcome what would the first be uh there, there was yeah, a no, i want to know you haven't even heard that one yet colin no trust me there's a, an interview where i stumble and stumble and stumble and i just don't like to revisit that one that's you know yeah crash and burn clearly colin bring take it take it from meatloaf to something well. better all right come on i don't know where to go for that one I'm lost well, already. Actually, <laughs> you know, we know that like places like Colorado and you know, Utah are obviously very big for skiing. I mean, I, I don't know much even about Connecticut, you know, the climate and everything. I mean, is skiing kind of a year round thing there? Is it normal that two year olds are slapped on skis? Because I've got three year old twins and I can barely trust them on a trampoline that we have in the living room. I can't imagine putting skis on. Great them. question, by the way. That's a lot better than mine. A trampoline is, I think, a little bit more expensive aggressive i guess than putting skis on i don't know i think a trampolining probably takes a, a little bit more coordination to do well but i don't know that's a great question actually See, look at that um, look at that great question <laughs> <laughs> um but in terms of the climate definitely not a year-round thing that you can do there and um if you do there's a bunch of small mountains there but i don't know if i've actually ever skied in connecticut 
I mean, we always mm. used to just drive up to Vermont on the weekends to Killington. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I was Connecticut is a very I think flat that was state, more right? Common. It's a very flat kind of state, isn't Connecticut, it? Connecticut, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, especially when you compare it to like the mountains out west, but yeah. I'm not. I mean, again, my my fact checking skills right now are obviously great. I'm too focused on finding about where meatloaf lives, but I, I'm not sure of the amount of Connecticut Winter Olympians we have had on on the show. But were there other sports? that you sort of played a lot growing up was this sort of a case of just stand a kid trying your hand at different sports or was it or once you had the taste of skiing, that was sort of the one that you always liked to focus on? Um, growing up, I always played a lot of soccer as well. And I was probably more involved in soccer until I was maybe like 12 or 13. And then I also continued playing soccer through probably about half of high school. Um, but in terms of Connecticut Winter Olympians, there are a fair amount. So I think um, a fair amount more than you would expect. Um, I'm pretty sure Julia Marina, mm-hmm. the snowboarder, won silver invasions from Connecticut. Right. And then there are also one or two um, aerialists who are... Um, who like had their start in gymnastics and then transitioned to aerial skiing were also from Connecticut. And then my teammate actually Hannah Sorg, um, is from Connecticut as well. We need to get, we need to get a few more of these on the show then I think Olivia, I think we're, we're focusing too much on the other. The <laughs> so you of, can ask them yeah, all about yeah, not, Exactly. That's exactly it. That's that the only goal right now is to get all the Connecticut <laughs> athletes on to go, Hey, were you meatloaf's neighbor as well? Like, were you the one like big questions and off the podium where that show. That, you also mentioned, uh, you know, your your brother, I guess, uh, was what you said, uh, Steve. Like, was there any type of like competitiveness growing up? Um, did did he get into mogul skiing as well, or did he kind of go off in a different direction? He did get into mogul skiing as well, and so he um, played soccer pretty competitively throughout his entire high school career. He kind of did like the inverse that I did. He stopped mogul skiing about a little more than halfway through high school, but he continued playing soccer. Um, early on, I mean, everything I did when I was little, I wanted to be better than my brother, especially because he <laughs> learned how to ride a bike at the same time. Um, I mean, so even though he's like a year and a half younger than I am, but I remember actually, um, in the summer, we would go up and train at Lake Placid for water ramping. And so, um, <laughs> you couldn't start training on the water ramps until you're 10 years old. So I'd already been water ramping for a year, but I'd yet to do a backflip. I'd done some front flips and I wasn't really that scared, but I was like more excited to do it. So it was like the first day of summer jumping. And it was also my younger brother's first day ever water ramping because he had just turned 10. And so I go up and it's like my fourth or fifth jump of like, I'm a little nervous getting ready to do my backflip. And then I did it and I was so excited. And then the next jump, my brother just went up and did it. And I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> He'd only been water ramping for less than a day and I'd already done it for a year. And even then he was better than me. <laughs> wow. You, you do play the age card though. They're like, ah, I'm a year and a half younger. <laughs> it means more. <laughs> no, he's a year and a half younger than me. Oh, he's younger. Oh, then. That's terrible for you. That's crushing. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Jeez, Colin, we I start know, with the meatloaf. Now you're He's... pissing her off. Like we've got to keep her on this show somehow. Come on. I've got I'm a sorry. younger brother. He's like, definitely... oh, if he, if my younger brother beats me at anything, I'm, I'm devastated. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, it 
even when we weren't in the same sport anymore, it used to get to me like in taking the ACT in high school. Like he's definitely smarter than I am. And that used to bug me so much too. I mean, it still does. But. And that's why you went to the Olympics to spite your brother. That's the yes. only reason. You got that ticket to Beijing and you were like, yeah. guess what? Look what I got. You haven't got one of these. Who wins now? Um, there we go. There you go. Pretty much. Solved it. Interview done. Thanks for joining us, uh, <laughs> Olivia. Did you sort of doing soccer and then with moguls were the olympics something that you looked at like i I know sort of with soccer it's obviously that's a sport where might not necessarily be the ultimate goal is the olympics because you've got a world cup uh, but was that something you ever looked at in olympics as a possibility um in the realm of soccer not necessarily i mean as soon as i done my first skiing competition i really just fell in love with it and i was so excited to progress and actually like once I um done my first moguls event like I had this little I mean I still have it but this is it's like this little dream journal and like the first thing I wrote it was I will win gold at the 2018 winter Olympic games with a double full of four ten wow which I did not do <laughs> but <laughs> You can you can delay but that I a few dreamed, years, I you know. Big, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a white out, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that in my journal. I think for like the 1996 Olympics. I mean, I would have been like nine, but uh, um, you know, dream big, right? So <laughs> I just keep delaying the year every yeah, now and then. The older and older I get, it gets further further away. But I never give up on my dreams, Olivia. So just saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> She's not going back in time 2018 if that's what you're getting at. <laughs> well, time travel could no. be invented. You don't know. Ask Meatloaf. He could be brought back to life one day and then you'll be talking to him about it. Go, hey, I need to stop mentioning Meatloaf. Jesus, this is, this is not funny anymore. It's embarrassing. Uh, you know, I, I find it interesting in a lot of sports uh, age differences because I think moguls is one of these sports where you definitely do get people who will start on the World Cup scene very young, but then you'll also get people where it's, you know, it's several years down the road. You made your World Cup debut, or was it 15 or 16 years old? Yeah, my debut was uh, when I was 15 in Deer Valley, uh, Utah. And then the following year when I was 16, that was like my first almost full World Cup tour. I missed two events, but um, yeah, that was like my first full wow. year. So what what has to go into that? Like uh, you're still in school, I'm assuming. You still have all these family responsibilities. Does one parent have to take the time off? Because this isn't just, okay, I'm going to go on a weekend for one competition. Like you said, you're almost on a full tour. Yeah, I in some senses, I grew up very quickly. But in other senses, I was still pretty naive, I think. Um, after that first year, I grew up a lot and I learned how to manage my time and responsibilities a ton um and there were definitely um some growing pains i would say um but i'm definitely thankful i had that experience like it's definitely set me up in terms of how i handle or like my ambition to handle school and skiing at the same time um in university as well and um so even though that was definitely difficult i was very thankful for that and i also did go to an online high school which helped a lot which was um Mm. stanford online high school and that was like like live time synchronous online classes when it comes to that traveling aspect at such a young age and you're going to world cups and 
you leave home and you're leaving your parents for a little bit. I mean, on paper, it's great. You get away from mum and dad, but it also can be a bit daunting, I can imagine. I read a lot through your blog and we'll talk about it. Thank you so much for doing that blog. It's an it's incredible blog to get a great insight into your career. But I, I know you've been to Australia several times and went to Australia a fair bit around about that period as well. So what's that like at such a young age to, to get in a plane at about 16 uh, you know, twenty odd hour flight to the other side of the world. Uh, is it is it daunting, or had you done a lot of travelling earlier on that maybe it wasn't as daunting as it might be for somebody your age at that point? Um, I definitely hadn't done much travel at all early on. Um, I mean, my biggest like first time to Asia, first time to um, Australia, first time to South America were all because of skiing. Um, I'd gone to Europe once previously, I think, but it was a, it was really short and with family as well. Um, but I, that, I definitely got like my first or it was my second trip to Europe, like my first big ski trip away. I definitely had like a really good environment at that time when I think I was like 15 maybe. And so, um, I had a coach who definitely like helped me kind of figure that out from a time management perspective a little bit more the year prior to World Cup too. So um, that helped to set me a little bit, set me up a little bit. But I remember my first trip to Asia, which was um, to South Korea um, in 2017, I think, prior to the like for the Olympic test event um, in Pyeongchang. And I just remember feeling like, when is this flight going to end? And I, I mean, I pretty much did homework the whole flight and I didn't really know how to do time change, mm. like adjust my circadian rhythm. So I remember I just got to the hotel and passed out for like 13 <laughs> hours. Because I can imagine like, I've done the trip plenty of times, but obviously for Australians, when we fly to the States or Canada, we're going back in time. So we'd like say leave on a Monday morning we kind of arrive on a Monday morning, whereas on the way back, that's when we lose the day. Whereas for you, it's the opposite. It's obviously like I'm leaving on a Monday, but I'm arriving on like a Wednesday. So things like that when you fly to our part of the world obviously is a, a little bit different and, yeah, a very interesting experience I can imagine. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that's actually different culturally within mogul skiing itself is like the way the teams operate. So like with the Australian team, for instance, they're going to be away from home for three months at a time for the North American winter season as early as like 13 or 14, which from like United States perspective, when it comes to mogul skiing, we're really not home. I mean, the longest I've been away from home six weeks so relative to a lot of other sports and then a lot of other sports um it's we actually haven't been far from really for that long and that's the, the unique aspect of it is that yeah like obviously we're not really a winter country in australia so we chase it a lot more but i, I bet you could have never imagined that when you were doing skiing that you would end up in Australia for skiing because I'm sure that that's not a country you probably think of top of the list for skiing when you get involved in it. That is a place that you could go to further your career. Um, I think if I wasn't a mobile skier, that would probably be the case. But because the mobile program is pretty strong, given Jakari, Anthony, Matt Graham, Woods, and then like the and Brody Summers, James Madison, and the depth of so many other skiers, and um, 
and Dale Bexman, of course. But Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, I please tell me you've heard of Dale, <laughs> like the goat. I, I was getting worried there. I know you're young, Olivia, yeah, but I'm like, oh, Dale, come on, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> He's our icon on this show. You, you need to know that. <laughs> I know. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Um, he, I, that was actually my first pair of ID once was his signature pair. Ah. When I think they made them in 150s one year, but they were pink and black and they were awesome. They were so Wow. Um, but <laughs> they, um, oh yeah. So that was, I mean, as soon as I had started skiing, I knew that, I guess, or mobile skiing, like more competitively, I knew that it was a possibility that someday I might go to Australia. Um, but I feel like really we had been kind of a random part of Australia, like being in Genvine. Mm, yeah, not not um tourist mecca. Uh, I'll say that. But for winter sports, it's a tourist mecca. Uh, you know, most of our athletes we talk yeah, to exactly. uh, on the show, uh, winter athletes from Australia are from that part of the country or they're from Victoria, sort of Mount Hotham area. So generally that's where they come from. Uh, my state in Australia where I'm from, funnily enough, is the only state where we've never had a winter Olympian. So, again, hopeful for me uh, that I could be yeah. t- Tasmania's first You're winter Olympian. You're going to be the one to break it. <laughs> you yeah, never know. There you go. Yeah, and that is the the awesome. second that no sorry third now dumbest thing Ben said on the show Bob. <laughs> it's, it, we're we're waiting for the podcasting sport to come. I'll be I'll be oh, shot what? by the end of this uh, interview. It seems that's it's not my best performance. Clearly, so yeah. Now you mentioned your dream journal and that Pyeongchang was uh, your your original benchmark. Uh, from what I understand, though, I mean you were already on the World Cup circuit prior to that, but you you were very close to making Pyeongchang. What, what did it come down to? Um, it definitely. I remember going into the last event. It was between me and um, one other girl. The girl who ended up qualifying in. Um, like the fourth place in the standings for the U.S. And I remember I needed a ninth place, but I mean, the three events leading up to that, I just hadn't competed at my best. And my mind was all over the place. And that was like my first go at the like Olympic qualification process. And um, it was definitely, I remember my first year on World Cup the second, like the feeling on the team and then on World Cup in general was just so different. And that was definitely something for me to get used to. And then I had a lot of internal pressure that I put on myself to make the games. And so that definitely got in my way, but I would say in the long run, it made me a stronger athlete and um, gave me that like extra push and motivation for the 2022 games. And one thing though, is I was not close at all to the trick package, <laughs> but, but I think after that, it's like when I really started going for tricks more, like I had the capability to do them at the time, like prior to the, 2018 games not cork pens but other tricks and then kind of like pushing the women's side of sport has always been a huge goal of mine and so that was something I really finally realized after 2018 as well and so I kind of realized I think that like to change the sport I would have to put a little bit of risk into it as well so well, and the selection process is another thing that's kind of interesting, you know, depending on what sports you have in the Olympics with moguls, it really is kind of a selection process. Like the countries can send this many athletes. And I mean, Pyeongchang, you know, it was way less competitive than it is going into uh, Beijing. Uh, Beijing, I think particularly the female side of American mogul skiing was maybe the most competitive I've ever seen. I've been following the sport for forever and it felt like no matter what, somebody who was a medal hopeful was going to be left at home. I mean, was there a lot of 
pressure or anticipation? Like for, did you have any type of clue that yeah, you're going to be one of the, I, I would assume, you know, maybe Jalen coughs feeling a little bit more confident just because she'd been there before, but how close was it? Or how nerve wracking was it knowing that you might be a top performer who's going to be left at home? Um, very nerve wracking. So I think there's like a couple of different players to that question. So going into it, my experience from 2018 made me realize a number of things. One of which was that I had in the past kind of treated Momoski as like everything in my life, but I kind of figured out also who I was without Momoski because I was the first alternate in the process of kind of what at the time had felt like a lifelong dream was completely shattered. And so I knew going in, like the one thing I was going to stick to was that no matter what happened, I was, I knew that it would be okay. And so that I think took more of the internal pressure off, like from like an identity standpoint when it comes to linking myself to normal skiing. And so I was able to go into it a bit um, more, a bit gutsier maybe I would say, and like with a little bit more grit. And so going into Ruka though, before we left, I didn't, it wasn't until the week before we left for our last training camp in Ruka prior to the first World Cup of the year in Ruka that I had learned that I actually even had a World Cup start um, because of my ACL injury two years prior, it was a little bit of a slow comeback. Slow in some senses, not in other senses. I mean, I was progressing really well, but I hadn't necessarily competed at my best, even though I skied better than I had before. Um, and so they had decided, the US team had decided to uh, take, I believe it was seven girls and five guys at the time, or six and four, I don't quite remember. And so they decided to bring a very stacked field of US women. Um, in the hopes that we would duke it out in the World Cup. And I was very thankful to get that start because I capitalized on it right away, which I was very happy about. But I mean, one thing about that full selection process, I guess, generally, though, going into the games is like, it's not over until it's over. And so like after the first day at Deer Valley, people were coming up to me, congratulating me on making games. And I was like, no, there's another day of competition <laughs> left. I haven't done this yet. Like if I had, if like say Tess had won and then Kai had gotten second on that day, then I wouldn't have gotten to the games. Like it, it's not over until it's over. And so um, things could have shaken out differently. And um, I was thankful to have like focus on my process throughout the whole experience and competed what I think was, um, the best I've competed and just kind of give it my all going in. But yes, there was, yeah, it was definitely down to the last minute. It's, and then Jalen and Hannah had qualified by the end of December. So there were only two spots left going into all mm -hmm. of January. It's yes. so fascinating. Just every winter athlete we have on the show, just this process because yeah, we interview summer athletes and they're qualifying sometimes two years before the bloody Olympics. Yeah. We, we knew two years beforehand, whereas literally, days before the opening ceremony you can find out and then it's also a case of i know with some sports i, th I think freestyle skiing is one of them where it's like you because there's so many disciplines in freestyle skiing you might be designated a certain amount of spots that all of a sudden team usa could be like okay 
Well, we're going well in moguls right now, so we'll designate an extra spot or two to moguls. We'll take away from the aerials and we'll take away from the slope style. So, like, even within your own sport, you're battling with other people from different disciplines sometimes. So that is just, it's so unique versus a swimmer who's like, yeah, set this time, be in the top two in trials, you'll go. If you're third, you might make a relay team. So it's kind of like it's it's a very unique process with the winter athletes. Yeah, yeah, you definitely brought up a great point there. I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily know about winter sports and then like freestyle swimming um, in general and kind of the category that falls into um, that was never really wor- a worry for women's mobile skiing, but I know there was a point where um, it was possible, like the men had to do well enough to earn all four of their spots um, for the U.S. The, the one thing you mentioned just before about progressing the women's sport, which I loved hearing because I know you're the first woman to ever attempt a Cork 1080 and we want to learn about that, but an example I like to use of that of how much that can go. We have an Australian aerial skier, Lydia Lassler, icon of Australian winter sports. And back in Sochi, she won bronze, but she did so by attempting the first woman to ever do a quad twisting triple somersault. She didn't land it, but she did enough to get the bronze. And now this is a a trick I believe that many women are doing in landing now, but the progression at the time was so big that she took that sport so far. So is that something that by attempting a, you know, a cork 1080 doing these tricks that you are hoping that in 10 years time, it's just going to be standard for women to be doing a cork 1080, you know, everything else like that. And does that sort of in a way mean more to you in a weird aspect than say winning an Olympic medal, which I'm sure you'd like to do, but uh, the progression of the sport for women, maybe a little bit further, you can look back on your career and go, well, I did that. I was a part of that. Yeah. It's hard to say because I haven't done the ladder option. I'll get back to you for sure after. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get back to you for sure in a couple of years. But but I, yes, definitely that is the goal. I think aerials is really neat in that like the degree of difficulty is incorporated to such a high extent where if you, it's interesting how if you do fall, you can um, win bronze. So I think it progresses to sport a bit faster. Whereas um, on the mobile side of things, you're not always necessarily reported for taking a risk. And so I think at times that's why um, the women haven't necessarily progressed as far as they're capable of or as fast as they're capable of. For the team uh, interactions and everything, or if there is any team interactions, one of the things that I find interesting uh, whenever I'll go to the the World Cup in Calgary is just seeing how you'll have these different team dynamics, you know, the Japanese teams like very much all huddled together and everything. And then there's other teams who are kind of off doing their own thing. And I I don't know if I've really paid uh, close enough attention to what the American skiers are, but yet there has been such a huge shift, which really you've been present for, you know, decade ago, 15 years ago, it was, it was just Hannah Kearney, you know, and now you have you and, Hannah Soar and Tess Johnson and Jalen Koff and Kai Owens. It just goes on and on and on. Um, I have to imagine there's, there's gotta be something where you guys motivate or push each other, but I mean, do you really get the opportunities to train or interact together? And and is there anything that uh, far together as a team that really helps push you guys to the level of success that you're all having? 
Uh, absolutely. We spend a lot of time together during the season, um, and especially and during off season too, when we're on camps. And then at this point, most of us are based out of Park City. Um, so even at like water ramp camps or if we're all in town at the same time, we'll end up spending a lot of time together. And I would say the biggest thing for our team is just kind of the level that everyone's at. And there is someone on the team who has an aspect, one of the three aspects of this and is very, very good at it, like the best in the world or one of the top three in the world. And so that's a pretty awesome training dynamic in the sense that like you can always use that as a benchmark to push yourself. Um, which I think is uh, very rare from a training environment. You, you touched on it before, your ACL that you did in 2019, and I'm going to touch on it again because we will still talk about this, your amazing blog. Reading your posts about that injury is just harrowing, just hearing your recollection of, of everything that you went through in that moment and just – just everything. I, I don't think I've ever read a perspective from an athlete before that really tells it how it is. When that happens after missing out in 2018, that happens in 2019. How can you take that level of disappointment and setback to really spur it into what eventually would have a happy ending by making the Olympics in, in 2022? Is it obviously those initial moments are pretty hard, but do you then just work with a sports psych to use that as fuel to burn that desire a little bit further moving forwards towards 2022? Um, so also thank you for the compliment. I that was actually one of my favorite posts that I've written and um, Taylor O'Neill, who I think we did. We recently, recently just had Taylor mm-hmm. on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She, she had told me after I wrote that blog that she was like, wow, that's exactly what it feels like. That's crazy that you put that into words, <laughs> which was weird to have that sort of validation just because I've also, I mean, the experience is I think very different for everyone. Like when it comes to like the mental, emotional and physical side, like interaction of all of it. Um, but after that, yeah, it was definitely devastating, but I mean, I think at that point it was, honestly the best thing that could have happened to me in the long run um i would say and i think i'd i've said that's probably my blog at some point but it ended up being much more of a mental recovery than it was a physical recovery for me just because at that time when i did tear my knee it was um not quite similar but i mean i wasn't mentally there for competing and i wasn't mentally tough enough to be my best every day that I was training and competing. Um, and so I did uh, start working with a different sports psych, um, started collabor- collaborating more closely and intensely with mentors um, that I still work with today. And yeah, just kind of went to work on relentlessly changing like my mental outlook and how I handle competition and training and really how I go about my everyday life, I would say. So it's kind of like a bottom up change that I worked through it, like starting with like the little moments, like straightening my knee and then bringing that to returning to snow and then to in the competition gate and then really refining my um, competitive self and then um, seeing where that could go. It, it's I, I, so fascinating. I always get so interested in that real mental aspect. You mentioned Taylor and I mean, she's been through 300 ACLs, right? So she knows exactly what that's like. So I can imagine she definitely feels that way. And her interview, you know, she talked very much in depth what that was like. We had a an Australian Olympic swimmer on at the end of 
last year, Zach Stubbledy Cook, and he went on to win gold in Tokyo, but he talked at length, similar to what you said about he had a very disappointing Commonwealth Games back in 2018, did not do what he thought he did, was thinking about giving it up and just was at such a low, got on a sports psych and it helped turn it around. And now he can reflect on that very low part of his career and go, it was weirdly the best thing to ever happen for me. For me to fail at a big meet, not do my best and nearly give it up was actually the best thing that ever happened to me and that helped me towards winning an Olympic gold medal. So it's always interesting to hear that from an athlete when you have such a devastating thing happen to you that in reflection you can go, well, shit, yeah, that's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. It helped me towards this. And when you're back on this show in four years' time, Olivia, with an Olympic gold medal around your neck, I'm sure you'll even think that even more. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I hope so. Yeah, it's it is really interesting and fascinating how that works kind of psychologically as well. And I mean, that was something I had kind of heard too. So I mean, I had talked with um, Shannon Barkey. And yeah, I think mostly Shannon, like right once over coffee right after I'd gotten surgery. And that was one thing I vividly remember her saying. Um, just that, like, from her own experience and then watching other teammates go through it as well. It's just kind of like career. It can be career changing. It's kind of like a make or break moment. I would say. It's, it's just, sorry to call and jump in there, but is it a badge of honor for a mogul skier to do an ACL? I mean, it just seems like such a sport where your knees are fucked anyway. Right. So it's kind of like, I was thinking the same thing. It's going to happen eventually. Surely. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was at, like, a, um, there was a point when, I would be on World Cup. I mean, this was probably right when I came back from my knee and it would be like 75% of the team had done their knee at one point. Wow. But then looking around in New Zealand and I was the only one who had ever done yeah, but don't don't, ACL. don't 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 compare it to New Zealand. They're Which, weak, Olivia. Come on, they're Kiwis. No, no, New Zealand like my team when <laughs> right, we okay. went to New right. Zealand. Right, okay. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any <laughs> chance for me to awesome. dig into Kiwis? Come on, you know, got to do. That. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I don't know if the time overlaps here or not, um, but uh, kind of on the topic of like setbacks that you know maybe eventually pay off in the long run. You know, when the pandemic happened, I, I mentioned this, I think it was when we had Britt Cox on here last that I remember being at the, the Calgary World Cup event right before everything shut down and seeing in the airport all these people with masks and being like, ooh, I wonder how long it's going to be. And the next thing you know, you know, you've got World Cups canceled. And then even the following year, you know, obviously things are very different, uh, no crowds and less events and everything. Um, were you back to competing at that point? And do you remember what it was like to have to compete in the pandemic and maybe have, especially having less opportunities. It's not like this is a world cup where you're out there, you know, 15, 20 times in a year. I mean, there's a handful of events you might have to make an impact. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, when COVID hit in March of 2020, I was actually in the early stages of my ACL rehab. And so the gym closed down for a little while and I had to do PT on my own, which thankfully I was past the part of like most stuff tissue work, because if that was like right after surgery, I'm not really sure what I would have done without a PT to help me kind of manipulate that and get that like recovery stimulated a bit faster. Um, but then the following December is when I first came back um, from my knee. And I mean, there were four cups that season and that was you had four world cups to try and make world championships and mm -hmm. i had missed out on world championships and so 
um, that was definitely like a motivator for me. Absolutely. Um, going into the next year, but yeah, it was definitely like, and it was also kind of a bit of a reminder, I would say going into the 2021, 22 season qualifying for the Olympics that every single event that I did counted. And so really focusing on my process was so, so important because I didn't really know how many chances I would get that. I mean, if I wasn't competing well enough, they could just swap me in for someone else or swap me out for someone else the following week. So um, I think with a team as deep as ours, that's always a little bit on your mind, I would say. And so I'm focusing on the process and definitely using your opportunities is key. <laughs> well, you, you took one of those opportunities well, of course, because you got your first World Cup win in the lead up to, to the Olympics. Which, again, I'm obsessed with your blog, Olivia. Seriously, it's great. But I, I love <laughs> your posts on it because the thing that stand out for me on this is you've got a picture with the goat, you've got a picture with Macau, uh, you know, great photo. But the, the one photo I love is the photo of you on the podium where you just look so shocked and like, I, I don't know like how mm. to describe you. Jakara standing there with a nice little award gun, yeah, all right, you know, another award, great. You're just like, holy, like, what the hell has it just happened? Like, I mean, that is, tell me you've got that, like, photo, like, framed on your wall because that is, like, the best photo I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's on my vision board. It was really funny. It was quiet during, like, the... Um, the podium pictures and I just had like so much adrenaline that I just had to do something with it. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but what was that experience like though? Yeah, winning that like, so I was going to say like that close to an Olympic. So to, to get your first world cup win only what, like two months out from an Olympic games. I mean, talk about doing it at the right time. Right. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That was, that was huge. It's, I think I had done a decent job mentally where I don't know if it, it definitely didn't sink in how consequential it was until, until after the event, um, until, or like the fact that I would, or how much that event had helped me didn't sink in until after. It was just a definitely a really fun day. Yeah. <laughs> now Beijing had to have been even more fun than that uh, because you're basically at the top the entire time, which uh, you know, we, and Ben, ben am I right? I remember we called the men's one. We, we called the women's finals as well. We did. Cause I, I, I was yeah. in a hotel room in Melbourne having to try and be quiet as Jakara won a gold medal. And you know, Oh, that's right. And 12 and long just, years just Australia had won an Olympic gold medal in the winter Olympics call. I had to be calm. Like, how was that for me? Come on. <laughs> And Justine and Chloe consoling each other for all the I warned you because you were delayed, remember? And I I spoiled for you that your girls had crashed out. Come on, Colin, you remember? (laughs) Yeah. Well, but like we we were watching that and, you know, uh, recording our episode live that day. And one of the things I remember is I remember thinking, and this is not not a knock against you in any way, but thinking like, you know, I expected an American, you know, near the top. I didn't expect all the Americans to be performing at this level. And when I'm looking through right now, you know, Qualification. I mean, you qualified. Was it fourth here in the first qualification? The, the the small final. You're still. You're in fifth place, and then you you basically make it all the way to the end. You know, you finish sixth overall. Um, I know you had the expectations to win a gold in Pyeongchang, but like, did you did you honestly expect that you were going to make you know, the, the top six in the Olympics in Beijing? Yes. Thinking. Yes. That's the right answer. 
<laughs> I, honestly, a lot of dramatic yes. tension there. That, that, that works. <laughs> honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I was trying not to think about it, but yeah, it, it was, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was a crazy two and a half weeks. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, it was fun. My favorite part there by far was actually competing. Which and well, I was just gonna say, Ben, you've been you've been plugging it the whole time, and uh, I spent a lot of my morning just reading through. You chronicled the entire Olympic experience on your blog, which you you honestly got to turn into a book at this point. I mean, you're gonna have at least two people paying for it right now. (laughs) But uh, uh, with I appreciate that. (laughs) But like with the the competition and everything, I mean, you've detailed like this is what it was like on day one. You know, this is. This is what the snow was like. And, and even all the other people, you know, I think one of the things that was so good for, for me to read is you look at both Tokyo and Beijing and you expect these are the pandemic games. Nobody's going to be able, it seemed like, you know, there was a lot of interaction with you and uh, the rest of the team, I mean, obviously very limited to your team itself, but it, you, you seem to have an experience where you're able to enjoy the games almost as normal as you can enjoy a games during the pandemic. The one definite missing piece was my family not being there. I really mm-hmm. missed not having them there um, to see that because that definitely would have been really special. But um, hopefully next time in Italy too. And my dad's from Italy. And so, I mean, like I, when I qualified for the Olympics and then that whole week, like the amount of people with the last name Giaccio who figured out a way to re- reach out to me was absurd. <laughs> like, I'm your cousin. No, I'm your cousin. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> My actually last name, true story, Libby, is, is that too as well. I just, I just hired it as Waterworth. So funny story. I'm also your cousin. So. <laughs> you don't have the last name to prove it though. <laughs> it's a stage name, um, you know. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, yeah, it was, we were able to have a lot of interaction within the team for the most part. Um, and then once, I mean, the, the village itself was very, really quite safe. Um, I mean, we were masked up 24-7 pretty much. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, one really fun moment was like when Jalen had won silver and I was, I was able to be there in the finished corral and I like ran up and hugged her but um like this official who I know from World Cup like grabbed the back of my jacket and was like no you need to get off of her I was like I've been with her the past <laughs> week wow unmasked <laughs> you, you know I was I was actually gonna ask and, and feel free to not answer this question you know answer it if you want and ask us to edit it out or whatever but one of the things you allude to on your blog was um, you know, I, I guess some politics or stuff like that. That was like the only negative experience. Is that what it is? Is that the one guy who grabbed you and said, no, you can't go there. Is that the worst part? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> there's more, there's more drama. He, I thought it was hilarious. Cause he was, he's, um, or in the past was kind of known for like being very much a stickler for the rules on, for like mm. the most random rules that don't, make much sense on the fist world cup so it was more of a laugh than anything else <laughs> colin was like messaging me going like oh this this is the one we need to find out about kind of like the drama and everything because i mean save it for the book maybe olivia because i think kind of you, know, you, can, you can really get into that but you talk about sort of that week when you find out that you're going to the olympics just 
when you knew, when you officially knew that you were going, again, after everything that you'd been through, 2018, the ACL, everything, like what, what is that moment like? And is that the moment where you go, holy shit, I'm an Olympian, or does that wait until you get to Beijing where you feel that you're an Olympian now? I think it definitely comes in stages. For me, it was probably three or four, I would say. The first was I had... I think I had finished fourth that day at Deer Valley and I walked out of the cups like, oh, that's such a bummer. Like I was so close to a second podium, but if only I had skied faster, whatever. And then my the US team head coach, Matt Canoza, was waiting right outside of the like the little tunnel and he was like, You're officially and he gave me a hug and I was instantly crying. There was a <laughs> I don't know, they tried to be, interview me for NBC, but I don't think it came out. <laughs> Can't be any worse than this one today, Olivia. Maybe your second worst interview you've done then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that was it was really nice to see, like have my parents there in Deer Valley. Um, that was awesome, even though I couldn't like give them a hug or anything and I had to stay six people are grabbing you people are always grabbing you get off get off get off them you're trying to FaceTime and they're grabbing you no 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 not so close no FaceTime too close too close get away (laughs) very strict in mogul it felt like that because after that I was like shuttled off to we were all of us who had made the games were shuttled off to separate apartments and I was by myself for a week and I didn't see anyone except for at training and that was that was a really weird week but, but yeah, and then I would say that like the second realization stage was boarding that flight. Delta did such an awesome job, like with the charter on our way out, um, with like all the TUSA athletes, and I got to meet um, a figure skater who did really well in like, the pairs event, and that was super cool to follow her games experience and get to know her on the way over. And then I would say like the third stage of like realizing that I was there was walking out of the tunnel at opening ceremonies. That was crazy and then the fourth and probably my favorite was at the top of the course before my qualifying run that was so fun that was so gratifying i guess there's really not many words to describe all the all the boxes tick which i mean again your your blog post is i was going to ask you about sort of that experience on on the plane getting to meet other athletes and and getting on tv and getting on tv opening ceremonies yeah exactly (laughs) getting fans but the thing that i love like sort of about everything too that you're writing with it because as a, an Olympic geek myself who, again, I'm, I'm not giving up. It could happen one day. But, like, just <laughs> all the things in the lead-up which we love. Don't shake your head so <laughs> aggressively, Colin. Come on now. I wasn't intending for it to be aggressive. That's my feelings, Colin. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm a not, strong-willed man, but now I might I'm not crying. making it either. Neither of us are making it. We're just being real. Back me up here, Olivia. Come on. I, I brought up meatloaf. But um, I, I love... <laughs> Again, always hearing those little things about like the lead up and everything. And, and the one that I love here is sort of you talking about going to get your uniform and and obviously not a bad partner to have, Ralph Lauren and everything there. And you've got your great photo there of you being kitted up because it's a pretty nice damn kit. People always talk about Canada and, oh, Lululemon. But, I mean, come on, Ralph Lauren. Like Rachel worked for them. That's a big deal, right? Hello. Yeah, that was crazy. That was a very overwhelming day I would say there was I mean they did also such a good job given like all the COVID policies we had to follow but the amount of stuff is that we got is absurd like it's it's like my entire wardrobe now like I didn't 
really had that many clothes before but like I mean I think this is a sweatshirt and I forget that I like am wearing it so often and then people ask me and I'm like oh yes I'm wearing <laughs> like is a, that common around Columbia are you just walking around the, the campus there and there's just other Olympians that you bump into oh you, you mo- <laughs> moguls oh swimming yeah all right <laughs> There is. There's a fencer somewhere on campus. I have ah. yet to meet her. Oh. Um, and then actually at DC, it was crazy. There was, I checked in with, and the lady who was helping who worked for the USOPC, at the, or I think she still works there, but she was a Columbia alum. And she was like, oh, there are three other Columbia Olympians here. I was like, there's 500 athletes. What are the chances I meet them? And I ended up meeting all of them wow. in the, like three days just by chance like in conversation like asking what they're doing like, oh i'm a columbia alum i was like whoa that's crazy so i think there's like a rhythmic gymnast and then two paralympian rowers right or one paralympian rower and then but you're the only winter uh, olympic rower all their summer people come yes. on yes <laughs> you're the cool literally you're winter so you know it's, it's better <laughs> I, you know, th- this next question, uh, you'll be the third mogul athlete that at least I've asked this to, and I, Ben, you may have asked the other ones as well, but I think this is going to be the first time we've been able to ask this to somebody where the decision made is final. Uh, dual moguls is now actually a sport. So this, this will be there when, when you're, when you're there with your entire extended, your dad's extended family watching you in a couple of years, you're, you're going to be able to participate in two sports. I mean, excited about that. Did you, have any indication because we were speculating about this when we were commentating your event and the men's event live. We're like, surely they got to have it. How long is it going to take for a second mogul discipline in freestyle skiing? Like, did you know this is coming? And, and what are your thoughts that you're going to get a chance to win two medals in the next Olympics? That was so exciting for our sport. I mean, it's been a very long time coming. I think um, there have been a number of people who have done like a really really good job pushing but um i think hannah carney like our fifth officer um she has done so much for that on that front um and it's been since like 2018 that they've been i mean before that they were pushing but like since then they knew that um italy would be kind of a good place for it it's easy because they already have the athletes the venue they really don't need to do anything else um they don't need more lodging um, so it was kind of a no-brainer. And then for our sport, it's so much more accessible to the public. So it'll be really exciting to get mm-hmm. more viewership and hopefully more people involved in the sport. And so I'm so, so excited. It's going to be so fun. I, yeah. It's a really I've never so seen incredible. it. I, I, I'll admit I've never oh. seen it before. So I'm. Wait, you're really? Really? Yeah. I thought that was a joke. No. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I often hear that a lot of my shows when I uh, <laughs> thought that was a joke no I sadly haven't but I mean the thing I'm excited about seeing it and I think the beauty of the winter games is that when they add events they generally don't have to take another event off like summer Olympics is so stacked that it's like oh cool we're gonna add this but sucks for you we have to take another event off because they've only got a certain amount of medals the winter Olympics they've got enough free reign to do it and when you got someone like Eileen Gu great athlete but she's you know oh the most successful freestyle athlete of all time well she's got 20 events to compete in of course she's yeah. going to win 20 medals, whereas, like, it's not fair for Olivia. She can only compete in one. So, you know, it's it's finally yeah. good, I guess, that you can you can catch up to Eileen now. You can win a few more medals. That's true. That's a great point. I mean, if you look at – that's why I think it's so, so impressive to look at Mikkel Kingsbury's win percentage. It's just 
honestly stupid it's ridiculous <laughs> how much he wins it's a really incredible but um yeah i agree it's awesome to have another event and it's also pretty crazy it was an i mean i knew this obviously going in because this is how moguls usually i mean has gone in the past several olympics but you get there compete before opening ceremonies go to opening ceremonies and then the next day and you're done yeah which is crazy and there's still like a whole lot like 90 percent of the olympics has yet to happen yeah um which i think is yeah i want to be absurd we're just on those olympics again the blog we love it um a couple of things that obviously come with the Olympics. I love you talking about the pin trading. It's one of our favorite things that we like to talk about here with our guests. I love the photo you've got there with Taylor and Bing Dwen Dwen. That's a fantastic photo. And ultimately, after the Olympics too, you get to go to the White House. Not a bad uh, little reward as well for uh, competing in the Olympics when they sort of combine the, the summer and the winters going there. Did you did you meet Joe? Was he there? Was Joe or Kamala there that you got to meet them? I did not meet oh, Joe or I was seated up towards the top of the bleachers and it was a mad rush to get. It was interesting because I had heard <laughs> that each president had kind of handled it differently. Like for, after Sochi, Obama had done, I guess, uh, my teammate Brad Wilson was there and went to D.C. And so he, uh, Obama had done, like individually talked to every single athlete and then wow. took photos with each team. Wow. Trump had left before meeting any athletes. Trump didn't even know it was Biden... on. <laughs> <laughs> what? Olympians? What's that? I'm going to my, I'm going to play golf. <laughs> and then, um, and then Biden and Kamala, it was just kind of like first come first serve, which was cool. And like a lot of, some of my teammates, I think got photos with them. Um, but it was also absurd because there were so many Olympians, but it, I mean, it was so cool to meet some Olympians and, like hear their stories as well and their experiences as to at Tokyo and um here it was just so interesting everything from like I had talked to this guy who had done karate in Tokyo and then for Paris it's gone like certain things like that it's just crazy to hear everyone's perspective and then um like meeting uh like there's a climber who lives in Salt Lake who like my friend group like who are a bunch of athletes also like she hangs out with too now which is cool and we never would have known her if it weren't for dc so um yeah pretty funny it's always crazy experience it's i was like a world hearing that because it's, it's yeah it's sort of you know as a winter athlete too you don't often get to go to multi-sport events so you don't often get to meet people like say the someone's but have an opportunity like that where obviously you got two olympics very close together to interact with the, the summers like a, a great opportunity uh, olivia we've got some questions, some fun get to know questions we'll ask you in just a second. I, I'm not getting there, Colin. Don't worry. I've, I've got a. I'm not. I'm not jumping ahead because I've got a, an important question to ask you, an Australian-based question. Because I, I was reading one of your blogs, sort of about your experiences in Australia, and you mentioned Tim Tams, of course, because who wouldn't love Tim Tams? But the thing that made me happy, you mentioned mint slices. No one, no one mentions mint slice. They're always the Tim Tams, which are great. Don't get me wrong, but mint slices may be better than Tim Tams. I'm glad. Would you agree with that, or are they just equal to you with Tim Tams? Yes, I would agree. I would agree. I think also with Tim Tams, my favorite is caramel. Mm. And then I also discovered the mint Tim Tam last mm. time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's pretty comparable to a mint slice, but I think the white, white chocolate Tim Tams. I'm a white chocolate man, and the white chocolate ones are pretty good. Yeah, I had yesterday a uh, salted caramel Tim Tam. So um, it was quite nice. Colin, you've tried Tim Tams. 
of course. Well, I haven't. My twins have, though. Well, because I can't, I can't eat it, but they, they were able to. You should have just said yes if to go along with the, the bit there, Colin. But we <laughs> the know twins it. loved it. Twin, <laughs> twins loved it. But I'm, gl- I'm just glad the mint slice is getting love, Olivia. Just um, Tim Tan's good for also, love, but, you know. Yeah, this is, I think, a little bit of a controversial opinion for non-Aussies, but I am a Vegemite fan. I think you have to try it the first time properly, which is where a lot of people go wrong. Like, all my teammates who hate it just tried, like, a spoonful out of the jar. I think it's It's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. You you need to tell me how to do it, then, because Ben sent that, and it's I can't have it, but my wife has been too hesitant to try it. So if you give me the way to try it, and I could say... An Olympian said, "This is the way you try it." Bugger the like real it, Australian. The bug, bugger the guy where the place, the stuff is well, from. Let's go for the American. She knows who- you. She knows you, Ben. <laughs> oh, we're besties. We we cousins. She knows remember. your tastes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I had uh, like. Like when I trained with Simo Springs Water Sports Club, um, my coach actually was Australian. And so she introduced us to it when we went to Australia. And what you did is like toast a piece of bread, put butter on it, and a little bit of Vegemite, and like not that much less than you think. And it just kind of makes it a little bit more salty and the butter helps. And then also one thing I personally really like on top is if you melt cheese. Yep. On top of Ooh, that too. Okay, cheese. Now you won her over. So yeah, I that's got her the stamp of approval. <laughs> I, yes, I am very un-Australian. That's why I've lived overseas for so long. I actually got deported because I'm not a big Vegemite fan. But like, you do it lightly with the cheese. There is a there's one called Cheesy Bite, which is like cream cheese mixed with Vegemite, which isn't too bad. But um, yeah, that that's where everyone gets it wrong. That's where you see these videos of like Americans try Australian food, and you're like, ha ha ha! They just get a spoon. Oh, I'm like you're an idiot, mate. Like even Australians don't do that. Like, come on, that's like, oh, everything in Australia kills you. It's like, yeah, because you come to Australia and you grab a spider and go, look at this cute little. Even we don't do that. Like, you know, we're not stupid. <laughs> that's there though, in the Perisher Ski Lodge, biggest spider I've. Ever seen. Like this big? Are I we talking so hand yes. size? Yeah, yeah. Ah, I've got like five of them above was, me right now, Olivia. Uh. It was on the ceiling, yep. and everyone would be doing their warm up and just looking at it, and there'd be like a little circle where no one would go in and put their bags in in case it fell. Yeah, I, 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 I am terrified of them. And the funny thing is, living overseas is like I lived in New Zealand, then in Canada, and then if somebody says like ah spider, I'm like it's like this big. Like, that's an ant. Uh, I, I hear the words "ah spider" in Australia. I'm in the other room. I'm like, nah, nah. I'm done. I'm good. I'm in the other room. Um, tell me when it's gone. <laughs> yeah, the other room isn't far. No, no, exactly. They, 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 they know where you are. They will follow you. They will find you. <laughs> Now, uh, before we get to our final set of questions, which I'll explain in a moment, um, uh, one one thing I want to ask, this is another question we asked past mogul skiers. Uh, I, I'm looking to add a third event, a third discipline for moguls in the Olympics. And I had the idea of, we have this now with ski cross and, and snowboard cross and everything where they'll, they'll have a men's and women's team thing. So the, the man goes down first and then you combine his time with the woman. So if you had to pick right now, don't worry, none of them are listening. Nobody's going to feel bad, or maybe they are all listening. I don't know. Uh, but if you had to pick one of your male teammates where they're making this now a team event, who's it going to be and why? How's it scored? <laughs> oh. Um, ooh. Um, <laughs> Come you on, get Colin. to decide. You're the, you're the first one to ask that oh, that's question. A cop out, that's a cop-out <laughs> answer, Colin. <laughs> well, you... 
I mean, is it like 60, 20, 20? Do you combine our scores? Is it scored like singles and then you combine our scores? Completely combined scores. Are we doing a best of two or is it just like one run? One run, single run. That's it. Very technical, this answer. <laughs> well, I, I have two in my mind, but they're very close. I don't, uh, I would probably have to go with Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it won't be the reason. <laughs> what, what specifically does he capitalize on that you think you might maybe slightly come short on? Well, I mean, our air scores would be pretty sweet, but I don't know how he's been skiing this prep season. I think things might be changing a little bit. So and he was a bit of a surprise in Beijing it. too, right? Uh, yes. Yes and no. I think when he puts <laughs> it all together like that, it's, it's really cool to watch. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I think he's definitely just coming to do so. He's, I mean, I, he's so little still. <laughs> he's not that <laughs> little, but like he's he's getting better, like coming into his own a bit more, I would say. That 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 is definitely the most detailed answer. I mean, yeah. Sophie Ash literally just said <laughs> Sophie Ash's answer, no joke, was, Well, I think I'll pick this guy because I really suck at this and he's better. She goes, Well, but no, I kind of suck at that too. <laughs> so you you have you put more thought into yours. I I, I just want to say um, I'm, I'm waiting I'm waiting for the day where somebody can pass along the message that I have uh, a son that is technically named after one of your teammates uh, to a certain degree. We have twins, and I was trying to convince my wife to go with a mogul's name, and uh, of course I was also trying to convince her to go with a James Bond. Well, I was trying to convince her to go with a James Bond, and there are a lot of things I said it was going to be this. So we basically decided on names, and one of the names we decided on for our twins is Casey. So for a while, I was trying to get Casey and Jesse, the, the two Andriga brothers, together. So if you ever see Casey, pass it along that that there is somebody out there who has a twin named after him and not Jesse. It's if, a bit I don't creepy, know Colin. I think that's a bit creepy, to be honest. <laughs> that's kind of funny, actually. Have you met either of them? I haven't, no. That's funny. That's really funny, uh, actually. Jesse's going to be very upset. <laughs> we get a Casey. So, yeah. Casey I've, I've got to see the, the pictures are behind you, Colin, because Col- I, I don't know if you, you met Olivia, because Colin stalks oh. you people at the end of the stalking. Uh, the I lines. do, yeah. So Colin's got like his wall of like, he, he doesn't have pictures of him and his wife or him and his kids. He's got pictures I, of him and the Deferla Point sisters instead. I've uh, got <laughs> I've got Mikkel Kingsbury. I, mean, I got J- Justine and Chloe. I've got Perrin Lafont and Akima Kurushima, uh, Akuma Kurushima somewhere here. I've, I really need more pictures of my family. <laughs> Akuma is my favorite. He's awesome. He's so. Oh, he's. But (laughs) I I honestly have to say, uh, the most surprising thing was meeting him the first time because he looks so serious when he skis. And I go up and I'm like, I don't know how much he speaks English. And I'm like, Can I get a picture with you? And and he's like, Yeah, sure. And then as soon as I'm snapping the picture, I look behind him and he's going like, Like he's basically screaming and throwing his hands up, like so much energy. Yeah, he's so fun. He came and trained with our team a little bit this year and last year as well. And when he went to Hood with us, it was insane. I've never seen anything like it. He will just, he only, like this year, I think he only trained right spinning tricks. Don't ask me why, but it's really, (laughs) I don't know, his air awareness, I guess. But he's just so good. It's wild. It's so cool to watch. Just just before 
sorry, go ahead, Colin. I thought I was just going to say very competitive too. <laughs> We're very competitive. Get questions in right now. Uh, just before we get to the questions, the final questions as well, which I feel we're going to be here for a while. You're going to be that analytical with them, which is going to be great. But I, I, I'm proposing extra mogul events too. Uh, the downhill mogul. I think we could just have like a very combined alpine skiing with moguls. I mean, very far. It might hurt the knees a little bit. Uh, the mogul half pipe, like lots of bumps on the half pipe. Why not? And the bobsled mogul, just have like a bobsled track with lots of bumps. Like, I mean, you know, like, why not? I, I think you guys could give it a crack eventually. Every, every ACL torn <laughs> by the end of the Olympics. Yeah. Whoever doesn't get injured at the bottom, you win, basically. Yeah. Ice hockey moguls? But they definitely, yeah. no, <laughs> they definitely should um, put a normal person in the Olympics, though. Yeah. Like me. If for every sport. There you go. Every, yeah, there you go. That's shots. I would do it. You know, I don't need my knees. I, I'm old. They're going to break one day anyway. Put me on one. I like my one time skiing, Olivia. I lasted 30 seconds before I chickened out and went back to lodge and had coffee. So if I can last 40 really? seconds at the Olympics, maybe I'll do well. Or you can teach me how to ski so I'm not such a wuss. Well, I think that would be cheating before. Ah. <laughs> What's a bit of cheating between friends or cousins, right? You know, like, <laughs> what does it matter? We, we're we're meatloaf buddies now, Olivia. Like <laughs> that's peak friendship, right there. Uh, now, our before we get to our, this will be the last time we see before we get Jesus to our final Christ, set of questions. Jesus Christ, asked the questions already. <laughs> Olivia's got shit to do. Colin, come on. <laughs> I, I was just going to say it technically is our final set of questions, but uh, just to explain our final set of questions. So, something that uh, they did for Team Canada did in the lead up to uh, Rio and then Pyeongchang is they gave the athletes a questionnaire. That some of the questions are sports related, some of them are just bizarre questions, and they fill it out in their own handwriting. Uh, there are some requests here for drawings that the Canadian athletes did draw. You would not be the first person to submit a drawing to us uh, if you chose to answer one of those questions and submit a drawing later. In fact, you'd be competing with Sophie Ash's drawing of her dog, uh, but we'll have to see if you get that because we're actually using Mikhail Kingsbury's questionnaire here. So uh, you're answering the same question as the king, and uh, we'll see how you compare here. So uh, if you're ready, we'll, we'll start with first question. My favorite Olympic moment is. Oh, wait, like ever anyone? It can be yeah. anyone. It can be yours. It can be whatever his, you want to answer. His answer was definitely his own. <laughs> yeah. I would Which one, though? <laughs> There's so many good ones. I don't know if I can answer that question. That's the answer. <laughs> We'll, we'll I also Watching heard Dale Begg Smith gold in 2006. That's also what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I she has to answer Hannah Kearney, if anybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Watching women's, I love like the heartwarmers too, though. Mm -hmm. Like the, um, the two friends from Greece and I forget where else who won both won gold in tokyo oh yeah track mm -hmm. that was really cool um women's world cup soccer winning gold is always so fun to watch um, <laughs> simone biles dominating Rio is a good one i followed her that olympics like crazy yeah, again, we like never ask this to an American because they've got too many to choose from, Colin. Yeah. 
There's so many though. There's so many. This is, why, this is why we get just like Canadians and Australians, and we've got like two to choose from America. <laughs> fuck, which Olympics? Jesus, which day? Uh, <laughs> which of Michael Phelps' goals would you like me to talk about? <laughs> I know, seriously. I mean, he has too many to choose. From I know. So share them around, Michael. Come on, late. <laughs> not. I was gonna say lazy, not lazy. The opposite of lazy. Too many, Michael. Yeah. Stop, stop winning them. I was gonna say. I'm surprised, Colin. You didn't take a subtle Canadian brag there when wow. Olivia mentioned the women's uh, soccer team always winning gold. You could have just said, well, Tokyo, you didn't. So, uh. <laughs> well, not Tokyo, but women, yeah. I'm doing it I'm for not, Colin. I'm, wow. I'm not competitive yeah. enough. <laughs> America beat Australia for bronze, yeah. so I can't say anything. Um, as, as a kid, who was your favourite sports team? Sports team. Mm. Women's, US women's soccer. Yep. Yeah, we get an Olympic answer. We don't usually get that. That's good. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty good team to follow yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, I follow. I definitely follow, like, I mean, U.S. sports, and I like play fantasy football. But I'm not like a. Do you have a team though? Like, are you now that you're in New York? Are you sort of get on the Giants or the Jets? Or? Mm, my dad and brother are Jets fans, but I couldn't really stick with that after. <laughs> no, <I'm saying. laughs> Don't think you could. That's too much pain, right? It's hard. Yes. <laughs> I'm a Buffalo fan. I mean, it's a good thing now, but for the most of my life, it hasn't yeah, been a good thing. It is, so. Yeah. One of my best friends is a Buffalo fan. Yeah. So. It's only yeah. now. It's, it's only now we can now. admit that. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. the next one, there's no drawing element to this, but I'll say Mikel Kingsbury has attached a picture of himself <laughs> answering this question. Uh, if I could be any superhero, I would be. Wonder Woman. Good answer. Have you ever dressed as Wonder Woman? Because he's got a picture of him in the Batman costume here. <laughs> That's awesome. How did you get your hands off this? Oh, we know people. We're very well connected yeah. on the show. Once, once you start talking to one mogul skier, then the, the dominoes fall. We, we are, we're only doing this to get to Dale. Yeah, we're only doing it to get that's to Dale. True. Eventually I we will find our way to him. Sorry. I can't get to Dale. <laughs> no one can. He's on There's... his island somewhere. Um, <laughs> we don't know it. Even yeah, Australian Olympic NBA Committee doesn't know where he is. He just, you know. <laughs> Sends text wow. messages. Yeah, he sent. Um, yeah, I can't remember yeah. which which one of our athletes. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> he one of our um, athletes uh, in in Beijing. He like it oh. made the news here that Dale texted him basically saying, "Great performance, you were robbed, Dale." And like yeah. everyone in Australia was like, "We haven't heard from him in like six years. This is huge." <laughs> Even like Taylor, bro, none this of them know where too. he is. Um, There's yeah. more sightings of Sasquatch than there is Dale Big Smith. Yeah, uh, it was. Um, yeah, I, I'm completely great Olympic host here. Uh, our, our guy who got, I think he got six in the final as well, similar to you, Cooper. Cooper, right? Cooper. It was Cooper. Yeah, okay, there you go. So, um, yeah, he did. You know, yeah. Well. So yeah. Uh, we look. Uh, no disrespect to Cooper, oh, but I was more happy for that Dale. Vancouver Brian winning bronze. That was so cool. Ah, there that you go. Great. See, and also like Hi, hearing yes. him talk about that day is pretty neat as well. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's another good one. I, I <laughs> it's well, but you could just you can just answer all of them with those. I like again, America, you got too many you to can choose from. Come up, you come up with a list, and we'll have you back on in a week and just read it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this will might know, might know the answer to this one, but I could be wrong. Uh, if I could be, if you could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, what would it be? I'm trying to think of a second answer to this. 
I mean, I think, well, soccer, because I could do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I would have to train a lot to be able to do that. But I think from like being fearless to being this fearless would be crazy, but bobsled. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Scare the shit That's out of me. you, but it would be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if I could be that fearless, it would be crazy yep. to live life like that. Now, how about this? Your favorite music artists are? Dua Lipa. Good Rihanna. answer. Oh, there you go. Colin, Rihanna, there you're excited Wait, now. Rihanna. Yes. That's Colin's girl. Okay. You're, you're now my new favorite mogul skier. Forget Kingsbury. Forget the Furla Point sisters. You're going on the I wall. Know. I was going to say, I don't know. I don't think there's any way I could beat Kingsbury. Oh, what does he like, Rihanna? Unless I were Canadian. Well, he answered, he answered Metallica. Um. I'll take Rihanna over Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Super Bowl. We're looking forward to the Super Bowl, seeing her perform in it now. That's yes. Gonna, that's going to be That'll be exciting. fun. Yeah, very, very mm-hmm. much so. If you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Sushi. Ooh. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. I'm so hungry. We record these right before <laughs> supper for me. We literally record these. we got to strike these questions. <laughs> uh, I, this next one, I'm actually curious because you might have a match with uh, Mikkel Kingsbury here. Uh, my favorite place to compete is? Okay. Um, uh, I think it's a three-way tie. <laughs> Go for oh, it. You can get us all three. Uh, between Ruka, Deer Valley, and Tazawako. Nice. Oh, we, we have a match with Deer Valley. That's Deer Val- Kingsbury's Deer, favorite place. Deer Valley, I think all winter athletes answer. Like, that's just obviously yeah. a, a very uh, great yeah, venue to compete so in. Crazy. Yeah, if you've ever made finals out of Mogul World Cup event, then nice. when it's that's not COVID. My bucket list is to be able to be in Deer Valley for a Moguls World Cup and be in Mount Tremblant. Those are my two. Okay, I'm planning a vacation. Well, this will be one year. anymore. Yeah, and it's not in Calgary either. I don't know what's happening. I know. Calgary was a nice event. I really enjoyed that. I, can I ask a really okay. stupid question? I've asked a few on this episode, so I don't know why I'm asking for permission. <laughs> but when you go to Deer Valley, are there like lots of deers in a valley? No. Oh, well, that's false advertising. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Jeez. That's like advertising Winnipeg. It's a nice city. Like, what the hell's going on there? Um, your fa- <laughs> How many dumb questions have we asked now? That's about seven. Um, your favourite thing to do in the summer is? Recently, it's been mountain biking. Nice. There's another Olympic sport yeah, for you. Yeah, it's fun to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I could ever do that. Never say never, Olivia. Get the I'd... dream journal out. Come on. Brisbane 2032. I know. I don't You've got think 10 I'd years. Be good. <laughs> Even though if I if I trained for 10 years, I don't know. Olympics really in Australia. Hard. Mint slices. Come on. I know. Mint slices. Yeah. <laughs> That's the goal. I don't know. That's very, very difficult. <laughs> hey, you know, our yeah, final question is usually – our, our final question is usually something that's sports related, but oddly enough, this one is not. But I'm very curious about the answer because this is where I'll get recommendations for my children. Uh, your favorite cartoon to watch growing up was? Ooh. Um, I really enjoyed the Looney Tunes. Yes. With like a oh. big disc set yes. of them and would watch them on the like road trips. 
I, I was a bit scared. Like this is one of those answers that I feel really like makes us feel old because you've always got that Definitely. cartoon of your era. But I'm so glad you said Looney Tunes because that, that's the <laughs> ageless cartoon that I think any age will watch. Because I is, grew up is. on the Looney yeah. Tunes. Once, once somebody Tommy answers Jerry, us. So. Oh, wow. There we go. That one for sure. I literally have a box out of that. My son, he, I'm not joking. He taught himself how to read and write, but the first thing he ever spelled out was Tom and Jerry. He took these magnetic letters and he didn't have all the letters. So he was turning like numbers backwards. So that's wow. how big Tom and Jerry is that's in this very house. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Colin's actually just a he really a lazy, things that, he's a really lazy father. So his children have to teach themselves. He's too busy yeah, podcasting. Exactly. Daddy, daddy, how do you write? How do Shut you up, read? I'm recording. I'm speaking to an exactly. Olympian. Go away. Moguls, moguls, get out of my face. Um, oh boy. Uh, before we let you go, um, you can plug your blog. Tell people how they can find the blog. We plugged enough. Uh, also, how do people find you on social media? Um, you can find my blog at www.oliviagiaccio.com. And then my Instagram is Olivia Giaccio. And then Facebook is Mogul, uh, OG Mogul Skier. But I mean, once you find one, you'll be able to. It's a rabbit so. hole. Actually, can I, yeah. ask, can I ask another dumb question, Olivia? Um, what's your favorite meatloaf song? <laughs> I don't know. I know who he is, but I don't know. Rip meat. Oh, yeah. Correct answer is uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, by the way. Just saying. Um, <laughs> listen In to case it. The next podcaster on asks the same question. Now you yeah, got an I want, answer. I want, on a, I want a blog post my top 10 meatloaf songs. After doing an interview, <laughs> I listened to his back catalogue, and I have to say, Ben was correct. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you'll see uh, it on the next one. Yeah. Hey, I expect to. <laughs> uh, Olivia, I'm I'm always thrilled we can have a mogul skier on here. It was fantastic uh, getting to hear your story. And um, looking forward to seeing you in the next Olympics and next time I can actually make a road trip to see a World Cup event. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Great to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. That was fun. And huge thanks to Olivia. Um, and I'm, Ben, you said at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to say it again. We've mentioned many times on there, her blog, seriously, check it out. Like we will always do research before we do Sometimes. an interview. I mean, even, even if it's a spot, like I, I know moguls, I knew who she was when you said, Oh, this is where we're going to interview. Yes, I'm there. But yet still, you still do research. And this was one time where you forwarded the research to me. You're like, you really got to check out this blog. It's really good. And I'm honestly saved it so that I can read it even though we've done the interview now because there's so much good stuff on there and uh, people should definitely check that out. I Yeah, absolutely. Can, could not agree more. And the thing that I'm always glad is when you join me for mogul skiers uh, because, I mean, I, I do like moguls. Not quite my favourite sport <laughs> in the world, but I do like it. Obviously, having Taylor and Brody on recently where you weren't with me. So, you know, it's good to, to have you on board with this one as well. But, no, great insight there. And I, I just – want to send a special shout out to, to Tom who uh, hooked this up for us uh, as well. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom, Olivia's manager. Um, and yeah, it's always great to be able to, to get that insight, learn a lot more and show a lot of people why maybe my broadcasting career hasn't quite taken off 
um, when it comes to my... That's why you're still holding out that hope to be in the Olympics. Quest- yeah, exactly. Uh, I would probably have a better chance of lasting 40 seconds on skis on a mogul run <laughs> than me calling it properly because uh, based on this show, my commentary would involve mogul, 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 mogul. Oh, that's Olivia's favourite mogul there uh, versus, oh, do you like meatloaf? So Lord, <laughs> Lord help us if I end up in Paris next year as media. Uh, <laughs> I'll be standing. I, I'll be standing like next to the pool deck. I'm like Penny, Penny, you've just won your eighth gold medal. Which meatloaf song were you thinking of when you were touching the wall? <laughs> I, I'm just imagining the day now where we ask the question of who's your favorite music artist, and somebody answers meatloaf. Yes. Just the elation on Ben's face. Yes. Meatloaf. I've been holding on this question since Olivia. <laughs> Rest in peace, meatloaf. I uh, gotta say, disappointed. Olivia didn't have a favorite meatloaf song. That that, that is that a new question? Can we just yeah, uh, yes? Let's fit that in. That that is gonna now be the final question. At least fit into the question here. We we talked about this. We need to start having a set structure to our questions. We, we do. That's gonna be the last one. I'll spoil it slightly in the fact that uh, there is a bunch of interviews coming up over the, the couple of months that we've pre-recorded. <laughs> so therefore, that question might not make it for another couple of months. But I'm saying it now. It is going to be the standard off the podium question. The final question today for you, Mikhail Kingsbury, what is your favourite meatloaf song? Michael Phelps said this, so be careful what your answer is. Uh, ben, you also mentioned we we record a lot of these things. So, I mean, at the time people are listening to this, she's probably already won the Crystal Globe. We don't know, um, but I'm going to guess Olivia has. So, um Yes, good job, Olivia. And uh, we got more exciting things coming up, which you may have mentioned to me off air, but I've already forgotten because all I heard was meatloaf in my ear. Um, <laughs> you know, life, what do we have coming up? <laughs> life goal, something I've never done, and I'm going to do this. I want to eat meatloaf while listening to meatloaf. It's, it's, I mean, that's a fun you – can't, you can't say, like, I'm going to eat Madonna while I'm listening to Madonna. I mean, you could, but that's a different context. But, uh, like – Saturday night when Ben's dad's uh, out of the house, meatloaf's listening to meatloaf. You see, the only art – I mean, I guess you could have some iced tea while listening to iced tea. You could have bread, a Bread, listening to bread. You could have some ice cubes in a drink while listening to ice cube. <laughs> you could snoop some dogs while you're listening. I don't know, but, like, I mean, meatloaf – this show's turning bad. Um, yes, over the next couple of episodes, we've got some great guests. Uh, next episode, breakdancing. Uh, we spoke to Gerard oh. not too long ago who gave us a great insight into it. But from speaking to Australia's number one male breakdancer, we're speaking to one of Australia's best female breakdancers who hopes to be in Paris next year. And I know at the time of recording this, you haven't heard that chat with Gerard, but opened my eyes to it. Similar to what we had a couple of years ago when we had Tom O'Halloran on before sport climbing became an uh, event sort of we maybe mocked it a little bit when we felt oh, this is bullshit. But then when you learn about it and you get the insights, I mean, okay, this doesn't sound so bad. So it's a great chat that we will be having. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm going to just say stay tuned for that. And then after that, you and I and Jared are back, the squad's back together. But then we've got, you're talking goats in sports. We have the goat of a sport. And I'm not going to tell you what sport it is or what, which athlete it is, but undisputed because literally this athlete was named by that sports federation the greatest athlete of the 20th century in that sport. So when you've got your international sporting federation saying you are the greatest in that sport, they are the GOAT. So You said 20th century, so we actually have narrowed it down a little bit. It's not Michael Phelps. It's not Michael Phelps. Uh, It is not Dale Begg Smith, Um, (laughs) but you will find out in a couple of episodes' time. And after that, plenty of great ones to come. 
Yes, I'm I'm very excited. Um, and we're getting closer. Do we have new intros yet? I don't know. We do. Um, Didn't you hear it today? Here it we go. Great. Dale's in the intro, intro now. The Dale's Thank in you. the intro. Come on. Thank you, Ben. I appreciated Dale in the intro there. Uh, <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow us on social media. Um, you can watch us on YouTube. This was a fun one to do on YouTube because you can see Ben's face change colors after his questions. Um, but we'll have lots of fun stuff and uh, we'll continue to post those uh, video and audio so that people deaf and blind can enjoy us equally. Um, sure. Um, ben, you're rubbing off on me. I got to end this. <laughs> I'm rubbing who now? That's a bit mean. No, you're rubbing um, off on me. Um, anyways, uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, shout out to the Birmingham Bull, whose favorite meatloaf song is Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And as always, go left. When the stars make it through just like pasta, pasta, that's some water. When you dance down the street with the cloud at your feet, you're in When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's amore, amore, that's amore. amore.